Play analysis, Devin Nash be on the mic, so you know it's hella lit. Better plug your headphones in on Apple Podcasts, and we up on Spotify. Ooh, on Anchor too, no parachute, we so fly. We talking sports and music, what's the newest in that culture? Better stream, yeah, you better tune in. It ain't gonna cost ya. We talking sports and music, what's the newest? Got exclusives, yeah, we do this play by play. Follow the page, eh? If you don't know, don't worry about it. Well, welcome back, man. Welcome back. Appreciate you, brother. Appreciation, man. Always Play-by-play analysis podcast. It's your boy, Devin Nash, BSKA play-by-play. If you know, you know. If you don't know, don't worry about it. My boy Walt in the building, and it is playoff season in the National Football League. And we are one round in, and now we're getting ready for the divisional. This is where things get real. The one seeds are off of their bye weeks on both sides of the AFC and NFC and we get to really find out a little bit more about some of those early weekend teams. So, um, the biggest game of the weekend, just by sheer brand identity and the history involved with this matchup, the Dallas Cowboys and San Francisco 49ers, America's team versus America's favorite new quarterback. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about this. First of all, on... The 49ers side of things, Brock Purdy just keep on going. He just keeps on going. And I'm just feeling like in my head, at some point, he is going to slip up and have to have either a bad game or he's going to have to be that dude, which he hasn't had to be yet, in my opinion. Like, he's benefited from playing ahead most of the time. And even in games where they're kind of tight, it's like he hasn't really had to like step up and get in any type of real shootouts with anybody yet. Like he's out here playing like he's still in college. Like, oh by the fourth quarter we're wrapping it up and I'm on the sidelines. Absolutely, man. And it's it's like uh first and foremost, like what year are we in that? We talk about a a Cowboys versus forty ers playoff game with a lot on the line. So uh definitely a lot of history in terms of these two teams. But uh to your point, I mean I think the biggest uh, you know, thing for this matchup is simply Dak Prescott versus that guy you just mentioned, Brock Purdy. Um, and, and we know when it comes to Kyle Shanahan, and, and you know at first hand, you know, being a Commanders fan and, you know, Kyle, you know, Shanahan, with his history in terms of being in Washington and what he usually does with quarterbacks, which is a great track record. Um, but Brock Purdy, uh, Mr. Irrelevant, I don't think anyone expected him to, um, you know, even be probably on the active roster uh, coming into this season, right? Like, we, we, we thought maybe he's a guy that you, you know, stash and keep him on an active list because you got Trey Lance and you got Jimmy G. But, I mean, all he's done is one. Um, um, so, you know, he the hot hand is there. He started off a little slow last week, but then figured it out. Um, and I think the biggest thing with Brock Purdy um, is that, you know, the guy is no stranger to, uh, I should say, um, big-time football. 
football as he was a four-year starter when he was in college so I mean he's been the, the guy um, probably his whole life um, but now we're talking about the NFL right so I mean it's a, of course it's turned up a little bit more um, and he's of course surrounded by great talent we talk about McCaffrey we talk about Debo Ayuk and of course Kittle um, so he hasn't had to do too much yet to your point Dev like he hasn't had to play too much outside of who he is um and, and the the few times when he's had to extend plays and when he's had to scramble and make some big throws he's done it um so to this point i mean i think kyle shanahan has been very very vanilla in terms of uh you know putting his young quarter back into you know good looking situations um but you know, those other guys, Dallas Cowboys defense, they're going to be after them, right? You talk about, you know, Lawrence, you talk about Michael Parsons out there. Uh, you talk about what they do with, you know, uh, Van Der Esch, and you talk about the way even, you know, the secondary with Malik Hooker and, um, you know, Diggs has been doing and Blandon, who, who's a great nickel, uh, young nickel cornerback. So, like, Dallas has some guys on defense, uh, and I think this will be the first time we see Brock Purdy uh, in a position where we haven't seen him before. And I, and I think that's, um, you know, with his pants on fire from, from start to finish. Because I know, um, you know, Dan Quinn is going to draw some stuff up to make the young guy uncomfortable. But I'm excited, man. And, um, you know, who knows, um, you know, whatever team wins this game, I think will be, you know, better equipped um, to, to, to win the NFC, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I told my friends that. I would hate for it to come down to this, but I am entirely prepared for a scenario where we get an all NFC East NFC championship. I am totally prepared for it. I think it could happen. I probably, damn dare I say, it might actually end up happening. I don't know, but like, I think Dallas's defense is legitimate, but I also feel like. Nobody's been able to crack that 49er defense yet. Like, Demeco Ryans might be the best coach in the NFL, like, of any coach, whether it's positional coach or head coach, whatever. Like, he's been by far the best coach this year for any individual unit. Um, and I know, you know, coach of the year can't really go to an assistant, but, like, I feel like if there's an assistant coach award, he definitely should be the one to get it because he got them boys playing. And he should be a head coach next year, but we hopefully – We've we've seen this happen before, so I wouldn't be shocked if he didn't get one. Because I'm done being shocked. But we're going to get to that in a second. First of all, if Dak can at least stay upright for... A, if he can buy some time, I just wonder, like, how many other guys besides 88 can really, like, step up and make some stuff happen, in my opinion. Like, it's going to be tough sledding for whoever's running the ball, whether you're Pollard, whether you're... Elliot, who already doesn't really run the ball that much anyway, like you know, it's gonna come down to number four, and uh, you know, is, is Gallup gonna step up? And even eighty-eight, he has lapses at times. So like, is he gonna step up and actually be the true number one that we all think he can be? Like, we gonna learn something about Dallas in this game for sure, um, on both sides of the ball, but especially on that offense. So. That, that'll be fun. But Absolutely. on the other um, NFC matchup that we got going on, the NFC East somehow, all these years people made fun of the division, talked about how bad it was and just how sorry of a division it was. And here we are, three of the four teams are among the last ones standing, which, you know, how I feel about that. Fuck. 
that last team for somehow. Like, how did the? I just I can't get over that. Like, I I try not to rant about this, but how is it that the Giants and Brian Dable leapfrog Washington in less time? You look at the the the, the core that he dragged to this playoff game with basically Saquon Barkley and them. Because the receivers are horrible. Kenny Galladay couldn't catch anything. You know, Darius Slayton or Brandon or whatever the man's name is, he's horrible. Richie James is like... Yeah, like, I mean, look at this receiving court that Daniel Jones is throwing to. And yet he has somehow done more with less than a guy in Ron Rivera who has Terry McLaurin. Now you got Jahan Dotson, you got Gibson, Brian Robinson, all these weapons at your disposal. And the best you can do is 7, 8, and 1 every year. Seven and nine, seven and eight, eight and eight. Like, what are we doing here? Like, what are we doing here? But I say all that to say the Giants ain't nothing to mess around with if you're Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a tough game. Uh, I mean, anytime you play a team three times, it's always going to be tough. That third game, um, you know, anything can really happen uh, right. in that third. Uh, of course, with the stakes even higher. Um, and then all the pressure is going to be on the Eagles. Right, you can say what you want about it's the playoffs and every game. You know, each team has an equal you know chance of winning, and it's fifty fifty. You know, the records are zero zero once you enter the playoffs. But the Eagles are the number one seed. Uh, I mean, they ran through the the division uh, outside of, of course, the Cowboys game when they didn't have Hurts. Um, and all eyes are, will be on Philadelphia. All eyes will be on Jalen Hurts, whether it's the health, whether he's one hundred percent. So all the pressure is going to be on them. Uh, I mean, and. We know that when we look at historically, when the New York Giants go far in the playoffs or when the New York Giants win Super Bowls, most of the time, Dev, is when they're the underdog, right? It seems like the Giants um, have embraced that role um, and, and who they kind of sneak into the playoffs when they make those runs. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, they, they're one of the most dangerous teams. Uh, I mean, and Brian Dayball, I guess he's the quarterback whisperer. Um, at this point, uh, I mean, it's amazing to see, uh, you know, Danny Dimes, who's not even playing on a guaranteed deal for the next season. Uh, when when your quarterback is on a prove it deal, uh, you got a, a top five, top you know eight running back Saquon, who's kind of also on a prove it deal. Um, so this team is hungry. Um, they're going to present the Eagles with a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of troubles defensively. You know, they have a great system, bend but don't break. Um, but then, uh, you know. For the Eagles, again, I think it'll come down to which Jalen Hurts is there. And I'm not saying, like, you know, he's been inconsistent this year because he's been very consistent. But the greatest thing about Hurts this season has been kind of that dual threat option um, where teams really have to, you know, worry about him him running. He had the most designed runs this year as a quarterback. Um, So if he can't really be, you know, Superman as he's been this year for them, you know, what does that say, uh, you know, for this team offensively? And, you know, I feel like the Giants – have a little, you have a little magic right now, but uh, I'm still not 100% sold on if they can beat the Eagles. I mean, this is me thinking Hurts will be back. I think that we could rest, help the Eagles more than any team uh, in the playoffs. Um, so I think you know the Eagles will be able to you know pull this one out. I also forgot to mention that uh, Jalen Hurts is a little bit banged up. You know, he's still coming off mm-hmm. of that shoulder injury. He was playing yep. through it last last week or whatever week, and that was just. And he still wasn't totally 100% yet, even with that game under his belt. But I think that was more so to get him some game reps so that he wouldn't be completely rusty when he comes back. But um, 
Yeah, the Eagles fans, man, I, and there's a lot of them I work with, so like I hear it on the daily. Like, I mean, they I, they're real confident. They're real like, oh yeah, there's no way they're gonna beat us, and there's no way this, and we're making a run, and oh, da, da, da. like you know, they they talking a big game, and mm-hmm. and I'm just saying, divisional opponents is real tricky out here. Very tricky. Very tricky. Because they know you better than any other team does. Like we saw it with Washington when they walked into Philadelphia and won that game a couple weeks back. And New York lost twice, but the second time they weren't playing none of their starters. So, like, we, I mean, shoot. I will say, however, that Minnesota is a fraudulent team and that I should never, nobody ever should, like, we all kind of were predicting that that could have happened. And it did. So, that being said, Philly better watch out because they're going to fuck around and find out. And <laughs> there's going to be a bunch of people calling out of work that day if it does happen like that. <laughs> so that, that'll be hilarious if they lose. But I don't think they sh- I don't think, again, that they should lose. But like I said, we very well could get an NFC East Conference matchup. And it may not be the two teams people think. Like the Giants and Cowboys can fuck around and like get to an NFC East or NFC Conference championship, and I would not be surprised in the slightest. And For sure. nobody else should, because this is the NFL. Like as we've seen, it has not been a whole bunch of blowouts, and even the yeah. 49ers and Seahawks was tight right up until a couple of turnovers in the third and then they started to pull away but even that game like yo there's no there very rarely are blowouts in the NFL playoffs or the NFL in general so just just be careful don't be sorry be careful you know but we're gonna move over to the AFC you know because that was supposed to be the better conference that was supposed to be the more exciting conference because all the quarterback matchups and at least in the playoffs so far we've kind of seen that a little bit but like not yet, but again, this weekend, we get the return of the one. Patrick Mahomes is fresh off of another bye week. Once again, the Chiefs basically have to, everybody has to come through Kansas City again. He has yet to play a road playoff game. This is crazy. He's, what, five or six years into his career? Yep, six years. Six years in, five has not five. played a yep. playoff game on the road yet. And even in a couple of weeks, there's a chance it might happen, but that's only if the Bills win. So, like, they have yet to do it. It's, it's really funny. Um, and with that being said, the latest person up to try to dethrone Mahomes is a newcomer on the block, the new kids, the Jacksonville Jaguars. And we're going to get to how they got here in the next segment, but we're going to focus on this game first. Um, do you think they have any chance? Because I actually think Jacksonville could really go in there and do some things. Yeah, I mean, me, I, I'm, I'm going to say no, they don't have a chance um, solely off of uh, the season that Patrick Mahomes is having um, right now. And, and I just feel like, again, I, I mean, I've been telling people all year, I don't think we've ever seen Patrick Mahomes play with a chip on his shoulder like we've seen him this season. Um, just because, I mean, you take his number one receiver, Tyreek Hill, and I feel like people have kind of written the Chiefs off coming into the season. Um, again, not really saying that you know they weren't going to be in a playoffs or that, not that they weren't going to win. The people division, were saying like this, people were saying this was going to be the toughest division and it was wide open yeah. and, and exactly. oh the Chargers exactly. have figured them out and oh the Raiders are going to be there and, and, and Denver Broncos For country sure. let's ride. Yep. 
It's like, yeah. I mean, that's as close exactly. to writing someone off as you can write them off. Yep. And then all the talk that we even heard coming into the season, if you, even if you look at the Vegas lines, I feel like the Bills have been favored to win the Super Bowl all year. Yep. Right? And, and it's just, to me, it's like, until I see someone beat Patrick Mahomes consistently, mine is Joe Burrow in the, in the Bengals. <laughs> I was about to say, they're the only ones. They do it all the time. I will put that, I will put that in there. But the level that you know, Patrick Mahomes has been playing this season, uh, I mean, is as special as probably we've ever seen. Uh, um, I mean, he's been that good in year six. And he, he's the elder statesman, it seems like, in terms of playoff experience right now. I don't know. The rest of these guys remaining. So it's hard for me to to bet against Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid against a young Trevor Lawrence, who didn't look great last week by any means. At all. Uh, the Jaguars looked very, very, you know, and like you said, Dev, we'll talk about how they got here later, but, like, right. I don't think they're playing their best football, um, you know, off of last week. But maybe, again, maybe they're hungry, maybe they're energized, but I just don't think this team is ready yet to take that step. Um, I, I don't think they're as talented as as that young Bengals team last season that made that run. Um, so I'm gonna go with Mahomes here. I think he's the safe pick, um, and I just don't think that the that the Jaguars defense has enough to match up with what Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy will you know, will draw up and cook up. Um, and maybe we'll see some more you know ring around a rosy uh, in this game. But I'm looking forward to it just to see Trevor versus Mahomes on this big stage. But I don't think there's any chance. Jaguars pull off this upset. Right. Yeah. I, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. No. Tennessee, not Tennessee. Jacksonville hasn't been playing well for mm-hmm. weeks now. Because you even go back to that Tennessee Titans game. And it's like yeah. they didn't. It took them a minute to wake up in that game. Like they, they were mm-hmm. just real sporadic. And if it wasn't for a, a back-to-back weeks of miracles, which we're going to get to, like they probably aren't playing right now. We're yeah. probably going to be forced to watch some version of Josh Dobbs. And, and I just don't even want to think about a world where that's possible. So, you know, you know, but, yeah, um, the, the Mahomes is different. Like, we've known he's different. We've we've said he's different. But this year, I remember somebody um, was talking about, I think, they were talking about Matthew Stafford. And it's a comparison where when Calvin Johnson retired, that was kind of when Stafford actually became a really good quarterback. Because... Mm-hmm. Suddenly, he learned how to read defenses, and he had to, you know, go through all his progressions and actually, like, see if guys are open versus just throwing halo balls up or YOLO balls up and being like, Calvin going to come down with it. And it's the same thing with Tyreek Hill. You know, you, you can't just throw that 50-50 post route or whatever and just Tyreek is down there somewhere or just throw, like, a five-yard underneath and it'll turn into 70. Like, you actually got to read defenses you got, like, all these weapons. And granted, you still have the greatest tight end to ever walk planet Earth and Travis Kelsey. But mm-hmm. all those guys around him, it's a bunch of, like, guys that just kind of fit in where they fit in. And, you know, it, it, he really had to become a real quarterback. And I think it's scary to think that he couldn't really read defenses when he first came in the league and he was winning MVPs when he was doing that. And now this year is what we can kind of get a dose of, of, like, yo, 4,000 or like just over 4,000 yards. I think he has something like 30 or 40 touchdowns total. And this is the first year without Tyreek Hill. So it's like now we're going to find out in the playoffs, though, when people can actually put real game plans together. Like if you don't really have a true vertical threat down the field, like how are they going to adjust to guys that probably are going to play a lot tighter than they would have if Tariq was playing? How are you going to adjust to that type of stuff? So. Mm-hmm. We'll see, but like you, I don't think Jacksonville is quite ready to take that next step. 
But I do feel like it'll be interesting. They're headed in the right direction. Doug Peterson has won a Super Bowl. He knows what it takes to get there again. And he's going to have that team right. Whether And if they somehow shock the world and pull this off, you know, like, I just think about, bro, imagine if Trevor Lawrence were on that 2017 team. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> what... what yeah, and that's and that's all they they've been missing uh, for Jacksonville. So yeah. to your point, exciting to see what Doug P, uh, you know, and the cons are going to build in, in Jacksonville in the next few years. It's crazy to think that that team a year ago had had fans showing up to games with clown costumes on, trying to get rid of the GM, and now here they are. Yeah, you know, it's crazy what happens when you get adults in the room, <laughs> and, and not Urban Meyer getting lap dances at his restaurant. But that's. That's neither here nor there. That's neither here nor there. Um, and we mentioned Joe Burrow earlier, and he too has moved on. And probably the best quarterback matchup of the game of the of the weekend, um, just by again brand identity, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Buffalo Bills, Cincinnati Bengals, the rematch that never was because we didn't get to finish this game the last time it came around because of DeMar Hamlin and his injury and everything that happened around that. So now we get to see what we think we probably would have seen when they played. Now we actually get to see the two of them square up this time in Buffalo in um, the dead of January. And yeah, um, because we haven't seen the game yet, I don't really have anything to build off of. This is the first time these two are playing in totality, I'm going to just tell folk, I'm rocking with the Bengals, bro. I'm rocking with my man's Joey B. I just, I just, I just, that team is just too deep. They are too confident. <laughs> it's just whatever. Like, I love the Bills. It's, it's, it's a great story. It's, it's a great Hollywood script, feel good thing. If they were to get there and win it all, like, you know, I wouldn't be mad at it at all. But that team just got too many flaws. and Even before the whole DeMar Hamlin thing happened, I felt like this team just has too many flaws, too many cracks in the foundation. Like, when you lose Von Miller for the season, that hurts. When you, you know, Diggs is the only real threat on that team. Like, Gabe Davis is kind of there, but, like, you know, he's big in the playoffs, so I guess that helps you. But Josh Allen, way too many turnovers. The defense is still inconsistent, and it's got a lot of injuries, not just with Miller, but you have, like, Jordan Poyer isn't there anymore. Micah Hyde's been in and out of the lineup. Like, it, it's it's kind of all over the place. So I'm just like, if they can still win because they got home field, but it's, it's kind of scary. And they looked really surprisingly bad against their third-string quarterback and team last week. So it's just like... I don't know which version of the Bills we're going to get. And the Bengals are not going to make some of those same mistakes that some of these other teams make. they just got too much talent. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it, bro. Uh, I mean, I think uh, the quarterback matchup is, of course, centered uh, in this game. Um, along with, of course, to your, uh, to your point, the rematch, right? Like, this is the game, um, you know, big Monday night game. And, of course, you know, the DeMar Hamlin, you know, scare uh, occurred. And, and this game never got played. Uh, and, you know... The NFL, you know, they that they have a way to make these stories uh, have a you know have an ending all the time. Right. Uh, so we get the game, right? We get the game that everybody wanted to see, um, and, and everyone knew that this game was probably going to come down to who would end up playing the Chiefs uh, in the AFC Championship. Um, and 
I'm, I'm going to go against you on this one. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with the Bills uh, solely off the fact that I feel like uh, the Bengals' offensive line uh, is just so Yeah, you know, they are be hurt. Right? You, you lose Lyle Collins. Um, you, uh, Alex Kappa didn't practice this week. Jonah Williams, you know, you know, hasn't really been practicing this week. So there are a lot of injuries uh, up front. Um, and, and I feel as though, you know, Leslie Frazier and the Bills' defense will find a way to pressure Joe. Um, and again, this is no slight to Joe Burrow because I think uh, what this guy has been able to do uh, with no consistency on the offensive line, and even this year, having you know not having Jamar Chase for a lot of the season, he's just been you know so dependable. He's been the most clutch quarterback uh, in football uh, for the last two years, um, and it's tough to bet against him in a big game at this point. Uh, it, it's extremely tough. They've been in so close of games all all season long. They haven't been able to just blow past the. Uh, the competition, like I think a lot of people thought they would probably in that, you know, down AFC North um, with the Steelers not being good and the Browns not being good this year. But they struggled, right? The Bengals have struggled, but it's been Joe Burrow who's been pulling them out of situation. <coughs> Defense, who has been very solid this year. Uh, but I think the Bills just have a little, little bit too much. Um, they're not, they don't look as sharp um, as they probably should have. But, I mean, a lot's been going on, of course, with Lamar Hamlin. So a lot of the emotions, who knows where the emotions are. But it's tough to bet against Buffalo at Buffalo. Uh, with Josh Allen, um, you know, who's been very careless with the ball, I will say. But he's still got Stephon Diggs. Uh, he still has Gabe Davis. The running game hasn't looked great, but James Cook has been looking, you know, pretty good when he's in the lineup. And, um, and Josh then Dawson, can run it, so. Exactly. And then Dawson Knox has been looking a lot better. Um, but I think the biggest thing for the Bills was getting Tredavious White back. Um, I think he's a guy who played very solid against, um, you know, of course, it was Skylar Thompson, but he played very solid against the Tyreek Hill um, as, as well as Jalen Waddle, who he was matched up with a lot. Um, so, Tredavious White, getting him back is big for that defense, who, to your point, they've been banged up in the secondary, won't have Hamlin, Poyer's been in and out of the lineup, but Tredavious White, he's the guy, um, and Matt Elam, the rookie corner, who had a pick last game as well. Kyrie. Those guys, yeah, so, like, those two guys uh, will definitely, definitely, you know, Kyrie Elam, my fault. Matt's, I think, his older brother. Um, but uh, Kyrie Elam, I, I definitely feel Actually, like... Actually, it's his uncle, know. surprisingly. I, look, that's how old we are, right? Yeah, old, bro. Yeah, old. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yo, come on. But, um, but I think the corners matching up with T. Higgins, matching up with Jamar Chase, matching up with Tyler Boyd, I think they have enough in the secondary to you know to slow the Bengals down a little bit. So I'm going to go with you know Josh Allen uh, and Stephon Diggs uh, to get the best of the Bengals secondary and you know ultimately win that matchup. I will say that... Um, I do think Josh Allen is good enough to overcome a lot of the craziness because, I mean, he's been doing it. And I just think at some point, like, there are just certain trends that you don't want to get comfortable with just because, like, oh, yeah, well, we've been getting away with it up to this point. Like, you know, there's just some things you got to be careful with because it's going to cost you at some point. It may not cost you getting to the Super Bowl, but it might cost you when you get there because it depends on whatever defense you would end up playing if you were to make it. Like, so... They got to clean them turnovers up, you know. And I just feel like they're a little too dependent on Josh Allen, even as good as he is. And, I, I mean, I still think they can win. But, like, we've seen before, like we saw with Cam Newton when he got there. And they were so dependent on him. And then we saw Denver just tear him up. And they just couldn't recover. Like, we've seen how this story ends at times. And, granted, this is a different era in terms of the way they play defense. But... It ain't it ain't that far off. So like, Buffalo got to clean their act up because, like we said, if you make them same mistakes against 
Cincy, Joe Burrow, and them are going to make you pay. But at the same time, I do not trust Eli Apple at all to cover Stephon Diggs. So, you know, it, it, could, it could still work out either way. And Gabe Davis, like we said, in the playoffs, it's just something just snaps in his head and he just becomes like the elite number two that people think he is, even though he's not that guy, but like, whatever. It's weird. It's weird with Gabe Davis, but man, it, it's a lot of good playoff football. And hopefully, last week it was no no real blowouts for real. Hopefully, we keep that trend up this week. I, I I'm I'm liking the fact that we're seeing good games, you know, yeah. which I didn't expect coming into the opening round, Me which we're gonna get to in a second. We've reached my favorite part of the show, a segment I like to call Big Time Plays of the Day, dedicated to all of the highlights of the week. And obviously, we've been going back and forth, but we got to talk about how we got here in the first place. We, The opening round of the playoffs was last week, and, you know, I hate to kick people when they're down, but Chargers fans, we're going to start with y'all, because... The Jacksonville Jaguars should not be here in all accounts. They, they shouldn't be in round two. They, they should be at home nursing their wounds after being down 27 nothing, And somehow, after being down 27 nothing, the second largest comeback just this year that we've seen, the third largest in playoff history, we know what the first two were. Uh, and it's just like, I'm just trying to understand what the hell happened. Like, what the hell happened to L.A.? I, I think we're still trying to figure that out. I mean, I mean, I know we can tell that Doug Peterson doesn't play Madden because, you know, the Jaguars would have been off the sticks if we were playing Madden. Right. Right. Coming down 27 nothing, four picks for Trevor uh, in the first half. Like, five are you serious? In total. Um, five turnovers in total. Uh, I mean, there was no way, right, that like going that. into that second half or even, you know, the end of the second quarter that we thought that there was any chance that the Jaguars will come back, but they never died, man. Like they, they kept doing what, you know, they got them there, honestly. Right. And it was consistency from their head coach. Right. And that's what, at the day, uh, we joked, I mean, you joked about urban Meyer and the clown suits and everything last season, but like all of the Jaguars needed, we always knew they had talent and you get talent because most of the time you're bad, but the one thing I will say is you can build talent through the draft and they've done that. Right. So all they had, all they needed was a guy that they believed in and trusted. And that's pretty much all it took um, for Doug Peterson, and his guys, and they outwilled the chargers. Um, and then our guy, Brandon Staley, who knows what he told those guys in the locker room, who knows what he was able to do on the sideline. But all I know is that he blamed it on the offensive coordinator because Lombardi was out of there. He blamed it on the quarterback coach. Cause he was out of there. Like, I'm I trying mean, to understand. Flat. A bad collapse. How does Brandon Staley, as we are recording right now, how does he still have a job? Like, yes, you can fire the coordinators all you want, but like this has been an ongoing thing. He's in year three or four. I forgot which one. I think he's in year three and has underachieved every step of the way. Like, this is a guy also who came under fire because before the playoffs even started, you knocked out your best receiver by playing him in a meaningless game against Denver. He ends up hurting his back, break like cracking like a vertebrae in his back or something, or something crazy, and couldn't play. 
So you lose that. Then you look at the team while they're playing, and it's just a complete meltdown. Joey Bosa out here throwing helmets and, and cussing out refs and just acting mm-hmm. a damn fool like he ain't never been nowhere. And I'm just like, bro, this is not stuff that a that a disciplined football team does. This is not stuff that you see from good football teams. Like this is like <laughs> some there is a disconnect because as a team with as much talent as them have no business blowing a lead like that and in the fashion that they did it. Like, you could see throughout the game, they could not handle the moment. Like, they couldn't at all. Like, I've never seen a team just have a meltdown like this, both on the field and off. Like, it's, it, it was insane. And that's why I'm just still shocked that he still has a job right now. Like... Yeah. And the sad thing is that this isn't the first time that I feel like this has happened. It's not. Yeah. Just, right? It's been a continuous thing. It's kind of become who Brandon Staley is and a guy who can't win close games, right? Every once in a while, it'll be like, oh, maybe the Chargers have figured out how to close out and seal these close games. But we're not even talking about a close game right now. We're talking about a game where you were up 27 nothing. Most of the time, time management, clock management alone helps you win games like this. But yeah. that was an epic meltdown. To your point, you got your players throwing helmets. And we can talk about not just any player, but your, your, leaders, best, on your, your leaders on your team. Yeah. He's lost the, the the locker room, um, and it was funny because today his press conference he said it was he he never had any doubt that his job was in jeopardy. So I don't know if a, if a promise was made or what, but a little too comfortable, man. And I told people that this, everybody talking about oh he's gonna be fired, and I'm like bro, I know from Chargers fans who talk about it. The owner is cheap. He doesn't care about nothing. Long as they get in the playoffs, it's a win. They they don't they they're they're content with being just good enough. Like not the fans, but like the the ownership. Like it's 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 terrible, and 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 it's not even just he's been doing this. Like the recklessness that he plays with. Like the the there's one there's a difference between being aggressive and being reckless. Like when you go for it on fourth down and stuff. Like he'll just do stupid stuff to the point that even his own teammates or, or his own team will openly chat. Like when Keenan Allen is questioning on Twitter, like what the fuck are we doing? And he's not playing and stuff. And it's like you don't see that on teams like. The Chiefs. You don't see that on like the 49ers. You know, like this is not stuff that you see on championship caliber football teams. So it's 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 just they got to clean that shit up quickly because he won't survive next year. I promise that. At some point, that leash will be up if he don't get it together. And speaking of people's time being up, um, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were the victims of. The Dallas Cowboys, and I say that truly because they got their asses whooped. And if it wasn't for a couple of scores at the end to make it look respectable, this was easily a blowout. Like the only the only real problem the Dallas Cowboys had all game was Brett Maher. You know, for some reason he can't make field goals. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we've ever seen anything close to that before, bro. Like yeah. that was probably the weirdest uh, game I've seen. Worst kicking performance that we've ever seen. And it's crazy that I feel like that outshadowed just about anything else from that game. Even potentially that being Tom Brady's last game as an NFL quarterback or Tom Brady's last game as a you know Tampa Bay Buccaneer, which I think is the more likely of the two. Right. But it was kicking uh, mishaps that actually outshine all of that, which is crazy to think about. But, um, hey, man, Cowboys advance, but Buccaneers... I think they go back into who they were pre-Tom Brady, right? Maybe even worse uh, because they have no future right now. Uh, they, you know, fired Byron Leftwich, 
I'm sure a lot of other coaches will be fired. Oh, they did. They fired a lot of other coaches too. They they had a graphic on ESPN of like it's a couple people retiring, but like they had a whole laundry list of quarterbacks that got put out mm-hmm. or uh, coaches then, that got put out. Yep, and then Brady's gone. You like where do you go from here? I, I'm sure if Brady's gone, Mike Evans will probably want out at some point. You know, Julio Jones is on his last legs. Uh, Godwin, who they just signed, I guess you build the offense around Godwin. I think Fournette's probably gonna be out of there soon because why would we pay for that when we got Rashad White right so you know who knows what's gonna happen to that team and they're not a young team at all because that roster even the coaching staff I feel like was crafted to win now um you know Bruce Arians like took a step back because he has so much faith in his guys to carry that torch for the next two to three seasons which they you know envision hey win another Super Bowl maybe you know Brady you know is off into the sunset but that organization as a whole I feel you know bad for uh any young guy on that team, because it's going to be an ugly next few years uh, in Tampa. Well, it depends, because they do have solid people like up top, so they, they could rebound. But like you said, yeah, they were crafted to win now, so a lot of guys were coming in there that are much older. Some of them are on like mm-hmm. one- and two-year deals. You know, Like you said, Evans may walk away, whether that means retirement or whatever. Evans might go... Um, yeah, you mentioned all the people. You know, Ty Bowles got inked to this head coaching deal. So, I mean, I guess he's good at least for the time being. But maybe he doesn't last very long if, you know, especially if Brady leaves and they can't develop a quarterback. So, it's, that, that, that team is in flux. And it's good that they got the Super Bowl that they got because at least the, the Tom did what he needed to do there in terms of, yo, they delivered the Super Bowl mission accomplished but like now where do we go from here and the main thing I got some words we, we got to talk about leftwich this is my time to talk because I've had some issues with that even before he got fired I've had issues with just his trajectory two years ago this dude was in theory at least a head coaching candidate he had one foot in the door for the Jacksonville job, but then it fell apart because he wanted to get his people in there and the, and the current regime wouldn't let him. And it just ended up falling apart at the 11th hour and they decided to go another direction and go with Doug Peterson. And I just really hate how he was done dirty in that manner. And now he lost what looked like is pretty much his best chance at getting a coaching job because now he was made the scapegoat in what was clearly... Tom Brady is 45 years old, bro. At some point, you hit a cliff. Like, him playing bad, Leftwich got a lot of the blame, which obviously a bunch of other coaches got fired too. But, like, the offense, when Tom Brady playing bad cost the man his job. And it's crazy because when he was playing well and won a Super Bowl, that wasn't good enough of a reason for him to get hired because it was like, oh, well, it's Tom Brady. Maybe Tom Brady was carrying him more than he was carrying Tom Brady, even though Tom himself said that Leftwich was instrumental. Now, when Tom Brady's playing bad, Leftwich gets fired because, oh, Tom Brady's playing bad. So he wasn't the reason for his success, but he's the reason for his uh, failures. Like, is that how this works? You know? <laughs> not, not, not him skipping Wednesdays and... And and you know going to weddings during the season and 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 getting divorced because he doesn't want to spend time with his children like none of that 
was the reason he played bad. It was all on Byron. Oh, let's also forget the fact that you basically half your offensive line is either retired or injured. Um, your, your running back is a fat ass. You know, uh, basically played his way into shape the whole season. Can't can't run the ball at all. And your receivers are in and out of the line of beat up every week. Like Mark, Mar, uh, Marquise Godwin and Julio Jones was nowhere to be found. Everybody was talking about, oh, he's back. And, oh, man, they're going to unlock him. And he, I don't think I saw him maybe have, like, three catches the whole season. You know, at one point, they had Cole Beasley on the team. Yeah. That's how dire the situation was. So, like, all of this stuff, but Leftwich gets fired. You know? Like, it, it's just weird. And I think Bruce Arians saw most of this stuff. And he wasn't really going to talk on it. But, like, we saw how this was going. That's why they moved Bruce Arians out and put some other people in there to basically kind of just be yes men or just kind of stay out the way and let Tom do his thing. And it's just like, bro, now Leftwich is basically a dude who was literally, if he were white, he would be a head coach right now. Mm-hmm. To now he's out of a job. And we don't know what his next steps might be. Like, hopefully, I want him to come back to D.C., you know, bring him back home. Because he's from Anacostia. So, I want him to come back and help our team out. Because a, a man with that resume, we could use in this damn building. But, it's crazy to see, like, in just a year or two. Like, th- this is the type of shit that I'll be talking about with black coaches, bro. Why we why do black coaches always get the shortest end of the stick? Yeah. Shit is crazy. I mean, it is, it is, it's definitely messed up how uh, Leftwich has become the scapegoat in all of this. And so, you're, and so, you saying you want him in D.C.? I would love for him. To have a you know a return to Pittsburgh, right? Like we need yeah. an offensive court. We need a guy who's you know been orchestrating a top three offense until this season, right? He had, he's had three seasons as a top three offense. And like, that came well, to the too. Yep. So I mean, why not? You know, why shouldn't uh, Leftwich you know be a head coach right now in this league? No one has that answer um, because any other coach um, who's been in a coordinator position has been as successful most of the time would have had, you know, a plethora of options. Um, and, and for Leftwich to be the scapegoat, um, you know, for an agent, Tom Brady, we have to be honest. Right. Um, well, your offense has to be crafted in a very particular way. Don't get me wrong. I think Brady has exceeded expectations, in my opinion, in terms of how he's looked in the last few years. Um, even this season, right? He, like, he's put up, you know, huge, huge, you know, passing yardage numbers, of course, um, a lot of times because they were down. But, um you have to craft that offense in a particular way because Tom Brady cannot move. Tom Brady cannot get hit, right? So with that, you have a lot of limitations on how creative you can be. But Leftwich has done as good as a, a job as possible with what he was given, with the hand that he was dealt. Right. The end, you know, this is a tough situation in terms of quarterback and Tom Brady. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's an incredibly difficult thing to do um, this late in his career. And Leftwich is younger than Brady, right? So, like, that's what I think what Leftwich has going for him. Like, he's still very young. He's only 43 years old. And I think the best is ahead for Byron Leftwich. Um, and, you know, it's sad that he has to be the scapegoat, but I think he's just getting started. And, you know, I look for you know him to have a great career. Right. And I do think – actually, I could see him going back to Pittsburgh because, you know, Mike Thomas loves helping brothers out. So, mm-hmm. so it's unfortunate because I, I want him to be in D.C., but I think he – would end up going to Pittsburgh for that reason. That same reason, because I think Tomlin... Tomlin's a good dude. So, like, yeah, either Pittsburgh, Washington, maybe... I mean, he was in Arizona, I think, because he, he 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 and Bruce Arians and all of them were all together, which is why he brought that whole band with them to Tampa Bay. But, 
Yeah, so it, it, it'll be interesting. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, I just had to get that off my chest. And shout out to my boy X, you know, for saying it. Shout out to like all the people who have talked on it. Like that shit is sad. And speaking of coordinators who stepped down, I think we finally, finally up the road in I-95. Greg Roman has walked away. We can rejoice. We can rejoice. I, it may be. It may become too little, too late though, because you know it's not looking good for bringing Lamar back. <laughs> but Greg Roman is finally gone. It only took him. It's about damn time because that dude had to go. It's different. Leftwich shouldn't have been made the scapegoat in this situation. Greg Roman has has had to go yesterday. You know, shout out to the to to the Ravens for making the right decision, even though they didn't fire him. They said he walked away, which is the other thing. White coaches get to walk away on their own accord. Black coaches are made the scapegoat. This is what my my boy X said too. Like you 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 look at Greg Roman and the way that they spoke about him on the way out, and oh, he was instrumental in leading this team to this playoff success. When Leftwich was let go, you didn't hear nothing about how he was instrumental in turning Tom Brady into a seven-time Super Bowl champion or nothing. Yeah. Nothing like that, you know. So. My boy Xavier made that point, and I had to bring that up because it's like, yeah, Greg Roman clearly was the reason for everything being bad in Baltimore, but he gets to walk away with his reputation and credentials. Left with, like we said, big uphill battle, won a Super Bowl as a coordinator, and we didn't hear nothing about it. You know, but yeah, shout out to the Ravens again for, you know. It's, it's a tough thing. A lot of a lot of gray uh, in this area for me. Um, just in terms, of, I feel like Greg Roman. Um, I feel like him coming in as offensive coordinator. Um, you know, once Lamar kind of got there, he hasn't you know been the best. Right, he hasn't been the best offensive coordinator. But I think he's been super creative uh, in terms of how he has you know really created this identity for the Ravens offense, right? Like run first offense with a superstar quarterback that has transcended, you know, the NFL, of course, and having an MVP guy like Lamar Jackson. That's all that credit goes to Lamar Jackson. But uh, to, to that point, like, I feel like Greg Roman, you know, his career and, you know, kind of his legacy will have a weird, you know, shape on it because at a certain point, I think maybe his offensive play calling has limited the development of Lamar Jackson in a way um, and has really limited the Ravens to attract big, not, just because they know, they know that identity is a run for his offense. But um, you know, I think he's him and Lamar have had a had a very good relationship, and I think they've both kind of helped in terms of you know building what they've built. And you know, Greg Roman, I think he'll be maybe his job, his best job, will, probably will be at the collegiate level. Um, you know, with a a, a a style of offense that can win more so big games at a college level. But you know, I think what he was able to do for Lamar and a coach to really believe in Lamar and allow him to be himself. I think he accomplished what he did, but to your point, Dev, it's time for him to move on. It's time for Lamar to figure out what's next for him. And in all honesty, in, in terms of Greg Roman, he's been around the game for a while. Like we talk about Lamar Jackson, but we 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 tend to forget like his he he was there during the heyday of Colin Kaepernick too. Like he was mm-hmm. his offense for the time that he created it was revolutionary and innovative. But it's been 10 years, and you've been running most of, if not the exact same, offense. And literally, like, if Steve Steve Smith, the receiver from the Panthers back in the day, legend, he pointed it out. Like, he broke it down, like, on TV that he's running almost the exact same plays. There's been no real 
evolution of his offense over the 10-year period that he's kind of been in prominence. And it's it's crazy to think about that a dude... Because most people like, yeah, you'll run variations of the same offense, but most stuff, like the principles will be the same, but you'll change some stuff. You To run the exact same plays... <laughs> like that's that's just to, to to point when your star quarterback talking about defenses are calling plays out and and they know it's coming already that is not good like he should something should have been done about this a year or two ago like it, it's crazy to think about it that it took this and it, it didn't even take him getting fired he literally was able to walk away on his own he should have been fired <laughs> like you know I'm, I'm never gonna call for anybody's job until now, like this shit is crazy. But anyway, yeah, that you know the Ravens and all of that stuff. That's going to be interesting going forward. But yeah, and with that being said, let's talk about more people like Greg Roman who played themselves. You played yourself. <laughs> dedicated to all the people that should have sat down and been quiet. And honestly, I'm getting real tired of Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, bro. I'm tired. And not just him, obviously. Like, like white folks um, have really been acting in ass for, like, the last couple of years now. Well, forever. But these these people are evil. These people are evil, bro. How in the world this, this, this whole attack on history and intellectual people and stuff, like, to ban the teaching of African-American studies... In, in school is is fucking ridiculous, but yeah. here we are in 2023, and Ron DeSantis is out here depriving the children of Florida of an actual education because of his agenda. Like the way that he has continued to just scapegoat teachers and stuff, this shit is disgusting. Yeah, bro. I mean, I, I scratch my head, and, and like you know, sometimes I I, I try to. You know, pretend like I'm surprised, right. uh, but I'm not. Um, just, just it's sad, right? Like it's sad that we're in 2023, and we're still talking about bigotry um, on a large scale from politicians, right? From people that are, you know, s- supposedly positioning themselves to run for president, right? Like it's it's disgusting. Um, and, and when we talk about Florida, it's so sad that we have so many, you know, black brothers and sisters in the state of Florida. Uh, um, and, and such, I feel like such a rich, you know, history of, of a lot of, you know, black people being from Florida, um, you know, recently. Right. And, and not too much even when we talk about like civil rights movement, but like, you know, more so that's like more so the Alabamas and, and things like that. And, you know, D.C.'s and those types of areas. Um, but Florida means a lot to the black culture, man. Right. Like they're, you know, the, the, the Floridians, the black Floridians, they have a lot of influence these days. And the fact that. We got this guy, DeSantis, continuously, continuously uh, doing stuff like this um, to set us back uh, for so long. And it's like you keep, you know, European history, you keep Asian, you know, history, but, you know, African-American history, you know, black history. People that are are, are here and very, very present in your schools, uh, you try to erase our history, you try to, you know, diminish our, our influence and. It's sad, man. It's disgusting. Um, and, you know, not surprising at all, but but something got to change, man. Something has to change. I just really ask, like, what are these people so... Well, I know what they're afraid of, but I, I, I still ask. What is it they're trying to hide? Why they why are they so eager to try to eliminate accurate history? Like, you can't erase history, bro. Like, you, you can't do it. There's nothing you can do. 
People will find out one way or the other. Like you, you can do everything you want, but you can't erase it. People will find the truth out. Like, like the all these white suburban parents that suddenly are worried about their children or say they're worried about their kids thinking they'll be racist. Well, why do they think that way? Maybe you should have some coming to Jesus moments and figure out what it is that would make white guilt is really serious, man. And it, and it's getting yeah. out of control to this point. Like the guilt is crazy. They, they are consumed with this shit. Like the guilt that consumes them and they, and they just don't want their kids to know it all. And it's, and now they're depriving our children. And I'm just like, you, you, you're not going to be able to do it. Like, it's just not going to work. And the main thing is like, for this to happen a day after Martin Luther King Day, like that, that's the other reason why I'm like, bro, niggas love to, oh, Martin Luther King said, and the color of your skin, and not to judge people by the content of the, And it's like, he said plenty of other things too, but y'all love whitewashing history anyway. Y'all barely teach history as it is. And what little history y'all already teach, now you want to get rid of that too. You know, and it's just, it's ridiculous. I'm, I'm tired of this shit. I'm tired of this trifling ass country. It's, it's just getting more and more ridiculous. And, you know, like, telling this is the type of shit that y'all tell us to be scared of in countries like China. Like, if North Korea was banned in history, we'd be ready to go launch a nuclear weapon. Like, it, this shit would be crazy. If ISIS was out here banned in history, like, niggas would be ready to go bomb a country or something. Like, it, this shit is crazy. Like, <laughs> y'all all for the elimination of... Oh, the government can't step on my rights until it's time to uh, suppress black people, banning books and shit. Like, what, 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 what country are we in that y'all are out here banning books? What, what century is this? You know. But we, we can't, we can't give up our fight on our end. Like, any, any chance, any, whatever gifts we have, whatever we have, we gotta fight back any, any way we can, because that's really what it's come down to. Bro. Like, they can't erase us. You know, point blank period. But, you know, the, the crazy thing, I guess, to move to much lighter stuff, I guess. Um, while we talk about our institutions and our stuff, um, HBCUs, and you, you, we want to talk about the history of racism and economic injustice and inequity in the black community. One of the biggest examples of the effects that it has had on our community is in our schools. You look at HBCUs and a lot of them are severely underfunded, you know, like in the state of Maryland, for example, we just won a lawsuit like a year or two ago to get all the money back that we were deprived of. But there are a lot of other HBCUs that don't have that kind of legal victory on their side. So they're, they're being deprived like Jackson State. FAMU, Bethune-Cookman, all these different schools. And the reason I bring this up is because a lot of people tend to forget that part when they, when they have this discussion about HBCUs and why they are where they are in terms of their athletic programs and the way money is spent at the schools. And that leads me to this rant that we saw from Ed Reed um, a couple of days ago that has been making its rounds on the internet. And a lot of people are ready to jump on HBCU grads and be like, well, see, Prime was right. This is what we were talking about. This is why I don't know why I want to go to HBCUs. And I'm like, y'all niggas love to scream about institutional racism and forget the institutional part. 
Like, there's a reason it's called institutional racism. This shit is an institutional. It's been going on for centuries. The reason that Ed Reed is angry is so much deeper than Ed Reed. It's so much deeper than Bethune-Cookman or Jackson State or one other individual. This is institutional. This shit has been going on for centuries and we're just bearing the brunt of it. And that's just where we're at. And not that we have to settle for it, not that anybody, especially in Ed Reed's case, the fact that like, I've, I've always been wondering like, what is going on? Why haven't they introduced him? Like, this is gonna put the whole program behind in terms of recruiting because like this limbo that they're playing. But even with us knowing that, like there are just, there are certain things like, they are, and my friend explained it better than I could. Like they, some of this stuff is literally, beyond any of our control yeah absolutely um and i feel like you know this one where i read you know it seemed like a cry for help and attention from ed's point to you know maybe get people from behind him to like put some more pressure on bethune cookman but like for me it was just very sure um very uneducated and i think that's kind of what you alluded to is just the lack of education um and again i'm not calling ed uneducated but right, people right. just you know, for someone to be hired or in the process of being hired as a head coach at an HBCU, like Bethune Cookman, um, I feel like he could have done a little more research and reading or at least found a trusted advisor to better articulate or, you know, explain the issues um, and, and things like you said, Dev, because this is a systemic issue, right? It's not a Bethune Cookman issue. It's not a Jackson State issue. It's a, you know, a systemic issue, um, you know, for all, you know, or just about all of our are you know historically black colleges and universities um and to add you know at reed's point i mean i was the first person to repost you know the the offer that he was you know in in talks to be named as a head coach and i was excited uh, because of what Ed Reed means to the game of football um and his his legacy is one of the greatest players to ever play the game especially at the safety position um and a guy who i feel like is, is very intelligent right like as great as he was athletically I think Ed Reed's mind immensely how he was as a football player is what probably separates him from the rest of safeties. Right. Um, so I was excited for a guy who seems very, very in tune and in touch with the culture as well. Um, you know, I thought that he was someone that I could you know trust a little bit more and believe in to understand, you know, what this job entails and what comes with it. Um, but, you know, he came off as very, very hurt um, and very, very, like, selfish in a way because... Again, why are you pointing at yourself like, you know, saying I haven't even been paid yet. You know, I'm doing all this. See me, see me. Right. At the end of the day, man, if this is a job that you wanted, you know, you should know what comes with the job. Right. And you should be in it for maybe yourself and your family. If that's where you feel like it'll take you career wise. But ultimately, your, your main thing should be serving those student athletes that you're going to be, you know, coaching. Right. And like setting an example because you know what he did and went on uh you know on on, on live that's not going to bring recruits to bethune cookman that's not going to shed a positive light to hbcu football that you know that type of uh, rant is not going to encourage more bethune cookman alumni if you know you say that's the issue it's not going to encourage them to get money to you it's not going to encourage the people up top or the people behind the scenes as he you know alluded to to be more invested in a program if you publicly call them out like that right there's a better way to conduct business there's a more mature way to conduct business and you know i'm happy he did apologize but like now we got to start to mend that relationship and the funny thing dev is like you aren't even quote unquote hired yet right 
like you don't you didn't even sign that that uh you know didn't even sign that contract yet so yeah. how are you doing that or how are you showing you know for a future that you know you truly you know are invested in what it means to be the head coach of this university if you already got so many issues so i mean that's my whole thing and i hope they figure it out i hope he turns it around because i think he could be someone that's very you know beneficial to the program um but you know it's not a way to start out it, not at all and it was kind of you know embarrassing if you ask me and to just to just so we get it clear like i'm not blaming every for that like i'm not i'm not saying he was wrong for what he said i'm not even necessarily saying he was wrong for how he said it per se like yes i because i myself was wondering like why haven't they introduced him like the early signing period has come and gone at this point it's not a whole lot you can do in the recruiting like it's people who are already having their winter meetings and getting ready for the sure. next season and this dude ain't even been the dotted line ain't even been signed yet and his he was saying they haven't cleaned out his office even like this whole situation is just so bizarre to me because I'm like I was wondering in my head until he brought it up like has he been hired like are they going to introduce him like this is going to hurt y'all with recruits now you have that that cloud hanging over and then you get Reed coming out here saying this the damage is really being done right now because if you got the coach out here saying, bro, Prime was right about everything. Everything they say about HBCUs and the way they run. And I'm just like, bro, in the internet world and social media world, bro, there are kids out here who, even if they don't say it publicly, probably are considering HBCUs. You know, and yep. even if they're, even if they don't, like I said, there's some who are like, oh, well, you know, they saw what Dion did and that the wheels are kind of moving a little bit. And they see that, and even if they go to an HBCU, they ain't going to Bethune. <laughs> like, that's the thing. The one thing about it now, they do have options in the HBCU world. Jackson State, Dion left, but they're still rolling. Like, you know, you can, you can scare some three stars off to go over to Jackson where everything is right. Dion didn't air Jackson out. He never, he, the problems he did have, he kind of like, he would talk about him, but he had his little media savviness, and he, he just wouldn't really say nothing. And he, you know, he was very respectful on his way out, very classy. Like, everybody in the program said the same thing. Recruits see that, too, you know? Absolutely. So, it's like, yo, you're, 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 it, it's, it's, it's a bad look, but like we said, this is bigger than Ed Reed. This is bigger than Bethune, Cookman, whatever. This is stuff... Mainly, the people who are just a little too eager to see HBCUs fail. That's where this comes in, where, like, these people that are saying this stuff, like, oh, this is what we're talking about, and y'all just say this stuff with no nuance about anything. Like, bro, as an HBCU grad, I can tell you, like, these athletic programs, like, the, the, the way that they are treated in the athletic department is crazy. Like, a lot of these presidents don't treat... HBCU athletics the way PWI presidents view it. Like, at Alabama and Georgia, athletics are the standard. Like, you attract other students that don't even play football. You attract them to go to University of Alabama just because of the football team alone. Mm -hmm. Like, you'll you'll see the football team all up in the brochures and shit. You don't see that at at these HBCUs. You know, which is not necessarily a problem, but it's like, bro, we're looking around at the college landscape. Everything with NIL, everything with like the Supreme Court probably is going to make it legal to start paying athletes directly as employees. Like, if y'all don't get y'all shit together, we are going to get left behind quickly. 
you thought it was bad before, it may just only be the beginning. If, if these presidents don't figure this stuff out, either get with the program or get left behind. Because it's real. It's even harder now to build a college athletic program than it's ever been because of all this other stuff. So, yeah. Incredibly. And like we said, a lot of it is people have had a 400-year head start on us. They had a leg up in general. Like a lot of these... Even when, even in our heyday, when like all the black athletes went to HBCUs, we still weren't getting the funding. Like it's just you know crowdsourcing and all that stuff. Now we don't have the funding and we don't have the athletes. So in a lot of cases, we don't have the facilities either. Unless you're somewhere like Jackson that just happened to get a Deion Sanders to come in and get his connections to help you out. But like a lot of these places don't have that. So it's just, it's just a whole lot going on behind that. You know, I'm preaching a lot today. <laughs> It's like yeah, but I'm in a sanctuary with you, brother. Yeah, it's just it's just people gotta like wake the hell up, bro. Like (laughs) this stuff, y'all be looking at this shit surface level, and it's like, bro, you can't do that. You you can't look at HBCU programs the same way you would look at Alabama or Georgia. Like when you be like, oh, well, this is why they can't go there. It's like no, 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 no. If you talk like it is as oh the state has violently suppressed us and stripped us of our resources and our money and in most cases our athletes as well and that's why we can't put together a program the way the University of Georgia can if you say it like that it actually makes sense because that's what's happened Mm -hmm. and then you get shady ass people that come in and steal money from people like that that's where you get situations like that where you get shady athletic directors and people that come in that don't really have the school's best interest and fuck the program over even further you know so that that's how that is but i'm gonna get off my soapbox uh we got to talk about something more positive out here shout out to sauce gardner um, the man is going back to school to get his degree i love when football players do this because every now and then We've seen them do it where they they leave early because obviously you can't pass up a dream like the NFL because it doesn't come along very often. But you love to see when guys go back to school and kind of show other kids the way of how to get it done. So shout out to Sauce Gardner getting that degree. Much love to him and good luck to him. For sure. Shout out, man. Shout out to the young fella, the all pro as a rookie. But, uh, you know, going back to school, you know, on pace to graduate this summer. And that's major, not just for him, probably, but for his family. Right. Like setting the record straight, like um, um, and, and showing the young fellas that you came to college to finish the deal. Right. Like you let this college use you for, for three, four years. Why not walk out of there with that piece of paper that'll, you know, go far for you further than most people's NFL career. So, shout out to my guy, Sauce Gardner. Exactly, exactly. And, like you said, all pro on the field, all pro off of it. And, it's always cool to have a backup plan. You know, like, when God bless you with something like that, it's always cool to just pay it back forward and stuff. So, we've seen this happen before. Cam Newton got his degree. Steph Curry got his. You know, like, we've seen this happen before. So, it's always cool to see athletes do that, like we said. So, much love to Sauce Gardner for sure. And yeah, we're going to wrap it up. One last question I got for you. Let's play a game. This one is a little more difficult because obviously the NBA season is in full swing. We are approaching a couple of weeks until the trade deadline. So there are going to be some moves to be made. But in all honesty, the halfway point of the season is almost here. Walt, I got to ask you, if the season ended today, 
who is your NBA MVP? Yeah, man, and, and you know, where I'll go with this one, I, I, I gotta give y'all a disclaimer. One, I'm a Philadelphia 76ers fan. Two, I have uh, MVP voter fatigue, right? And by that, I gotta start off by saying that I'm not putting Nikola Jokic as number one on my ballot. I'm not even. Um, I th- having a, think he's having a great year. I mean, I think he's having an outstanding year. Field goal percentage is off the charts, over 60%. Um, Triple-double machine, we know we know that. You know, he's going to lead in PER probably until, you know, his, his knees go bad or something, right? Like, he just plays the game of basketball or, or whoever has helped him figure out the NBA. He has played a way to basketball that he's kind of nuked the sliders for player efficiency. Uh, and he's just going to lead the league every single season when he's healthy. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he has mastered the stats that kind of skew uh, the PER stuff. But he's the most efficient basketball player statistically, consistently, that we, we will probably ever see, which is mind-blowing. Uh, and to say that he's going to potentially win three MVPs in a row is, is crazy. That's super rare, you know, category. But I'm going to go with Luka Doncic. Uh, I mean, and the reason why is, of course, he's leading the league. Uh, in scoring of course he's having you know a career high in terms of field goal percentage uh which is i believe shooting 52 percent from the field but when i look at the mavericks as a team there's no way that they should even be sniffing the playoffs but it's it's one guy who's been carrying him and that's luca uh, i mean they're 0 five without him i mean it's a completely different team without luca this season um and he's just been that good uh you know this is his first year averaging over 30 he's leading the league in scoring um you know he's making his teammates better right his assists are consistently uh, you know i think he's at close to nine assists nine rebounds a game but he's just been getting better and better uh and this team the way it's constructed and i know mark cuban got upset when somebody said that they need to get luca some help but it's the truth it's sad that we are seeing a great talent like Luca waste some of his years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, the same thing could be said about you know LeBron's first run in Cleveland. And I feel like we're in a, we're in the same situation again. I hate when young superstars have to you know wait forever to get some you know help in there. And that's kind of what I see with Luca and the Mavs. But Luca has been the best player every night he's been on the court, no matter who he's playing against. And uh, I gotta go with Luca right now, even though they are fifth and eight and a half games back from from the Joker. But when we talk about the most important player and the most valuable player to their team, it's hard to argue that that, that Luca is not. I I a couple things. I said at the end of last year, if Luca gets to the playoffs, it doesn't matter if he's first seed, fifth seed, tenth seed. If he gets in the postseason this year. The media will unanimously vote him MVP. He will he will win the MVP as long as he gets his team to the playoffs. If he misses the playoffs, you can't really give it to him. That's that's what I said before the season even started. I'm like, he's the new media favorite. Like they're going to try their hardest to give it to him. But then that was before Nikola Jokic had the season he's having. That was before Jason Tatum. And then obviously Giannis is always going to be in the conversation. And I say all that to say. And then here's the other thing. As a like, I'm a Bucks fan, but, you know, I'm going to talk about the Sixers. It's kind of sad for, I feel sad for MV, for uh, Joel Embiid because I'm like, he probably should have won the MVP one of those two years that Jokic won it. But he can't stay healthy. Absolutely. So, like, you can't give it to him. Because that, that one year he was on track to win it, and then he missed, like, the back half of the season. And so they just gave it to yeah. Jokic. And then I ended up being wrong about Jokic because I'm like, oh, man, like, I don't know if I'd really put him in the same level of, a, of the Giannis's and the NBA's and whatever. But now I definitely will. Like, that dude is like that. I say all that to say, 
if if we're gonna talk voter fatigue, I would give it to Jason Tatum. That's that's my guy right now I'm for gone. for MVP. That's that's who I would give it to. Um, it'll probably go to Luca if, like I said, I didn't realize they were fifth. If they if they're top five in the West and he drags this team to the playoffs and they can stay in the one to five range, oh, they're definitely giving it to him. But I personally think Jason Tatum should be in the conversation. So that's just my two cents on that. But I like it. They're going to. Oh, yeah. It, it it would be crazy though, Jokic if he could win three MVPs in a row. Because the other thing too, it's hard, even with voter fatigue being a thing, if they can stay at the number one team in the like if they maintain the top seed in the West or a top two seed in the West, it'd be hard not to give it to Jokic. Yeah. But like you said, voter fatigue is a thing. So like they'll be like, oh yeah, I mean at this point he'll win it every year, and it's like all right. But yeah, so. But we got to wrap it up, you know. Shout out to Walt. Really good show today. Really good conversation. We had to cover some things, you know. It's been fun, bro. It's been fun, man. It's always a good time. Um, you know, looking forward looking forward to uh, this weekend. A lot of good football on tap, man. I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Oh, we will. We will. Definitely, definitely. I think we're going to be very surprised about what we talk about in, in the coming weeks. So, that being said, this has been the Play-by-Play Analysis Podcast. Y'all make sure y'all watch some good football this weekend, man. We really coming to the finishing stretch. We about to be that time of year where there's no football being played, and it's always a tough time of year. So let's enjoy it while it's here, man. And uh, this year has been the Play-by-Play Analysis Podcast. It's your boy, Devin Ashby, SKA Play-by-Play. If you know, you know. If you don't know, don't worry about it. And we got to get up out of here. I'm going to see y'all when I see y'all. Deuces. Peace.